Well, if you saw the bulletin, you saw the name of this uh, sermon is What If. What if, life is full of what ifs. My mom was always talking about, they didn't, didn't have the lottery like we have it now. They had what they call the Irish sweepstakes. Some of you. <laughs> what if I won the Irish sweepstakes? Then she'd get into the projection of how she would pay everyone's bills off and do this and do that. And of course, the old saying is, what does one millionaire want? He wants another million. So once you get a hold of those what ifs, they can become a dangerous thing. But they go through life. Uh, What if I married the wrong person? What if my life was changed because I got this other job? All these what ifs. And you know, they're inconsequential to the fact that the big what if has to be asked. What if I thought I was saved and I'm not? Wow. That's what we're going to talk about today. Now we're getting to some serious business here. What if I thought I was saved? Did you ever think that in your own heart? I have. And I had to refresh my mind of what God did for me and what he expected of me. And was I following through with that? And that end is what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, Skip, could you put those first two scriptures up? Two dramatically different scriptures here. The first one, his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, what that's all about is he gave his servants certain things to do. The first servant, he gave five things to do. The second servant, he gave two things to do. And... The faithful servant, you have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge. Come and share your master's happiness. So the bottom line of this is as well done, good and faithful servant. Of course, if you read a little bit further, there's a third servant that was given one talent and he did nothing with it. Now, the talents we're talking about are jobs God gives us to do. We are not here to work for ourselves. I hear a lot of people moaning and groaning about their jobs, and I have to remind them, you're not working for the man, you're working for God, and you're there to do the very best you can to bring forth the name of Jesus Christ into the workplace. So this man was given something to do, and he didn't do it. In fact, quite honestly, he hid it. He says he buried it because he was afraid of what God might say. And God spoke to him, he says, you evil man. And he cast him out. Now, where did he cast him? Into hell is where he cast him. We're going to be talking about heaven and hell today then. The second scripture, thus by their fruit you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who knows the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then... I will tell you plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now, what happens to that person? Quite honestly, no sense pulling punches, he's going to hell. Now the question comes back, what if I thought I'm saved and I'm not? What would happen to me if, in fact, I'm living a lie all these years Because I heard someone say to me one time, once saved, always saved. A dangerous phrase. And is it true? Yes, it's true. For those that walk in the Lord, that those that finish the race to the end. 
But does it mean just because you said, Lord, Lord, come into my heart and never did another thing? You know, there's another scripture that says, uh, if you were to give at least a cup of water to someone, does that mean you'd be saved because you gave a cup of water? You know, I, believe, I know people that believe that. They thought they were saved because they gave a cup of water to someone when they were in thirst. How stupid. How misappropriating the scriptures. The whole idea of salvation isn't a one-time thing. Do you know you need to be saved every day? Oh, no, fine. The great salvation came from Jesus Christ. But there's something going on in your life and in my life every day that you need to be saved from. And when we don't put our trust in and we put our hands in Jesus Christ, we find out that we fail miserably. God does not want miserable failures. I'm telling you that right now. Because he's given all the tools, all the equipment, all the instructions, everything you need. And then, if that wasn't enough, he gives the Holy Spirit so you can do the job that he sets the course for you to do. And what happens when you don't do it? Unfortunately, uh, Frank talks about this all the time, and he's so right. American Christianity is far from what Christ is expecting. American Christianity is getting candy bars every day and chomping them down and looking next day to get the next one. Uh, Christianity is not about candy bars. Christianity is about doing the will of our Father who sent Jesus Christ to die for us so that we're able to do the things we need to do. So we've got two scriptures here. One saying, well done, good and faithful servant. And the other one saying, get away from me. I never knew you. I'm going to challenge you as we go along so that you would look in your own heart, as I had to do to prepare this, to look in your own heart and say, where do I fit into this? Wouldn't it be terrible if you thought you were saved? And the day came when you stood before the Father. And he heard those terrible, crushing words. Get away from me, I never knew you. And you try to make an argument for it. But I did this and I did that. Yeah, well, why did you do it? And for whose sake did you do it? And whose name did you use? How many times have you done something that you felt the Lord wanted you to do, but you did it for your own name? If I didn't do this one thing, how would people perceive me? How would I go into church and I'd see these people, and how would they look at me if I didn't do this? The whole idea of Jesus is lost in the shuffle. The whole idea it goes back to the ego of the person and how they would be looked upon by their friends and by members of the congregation. We talk about tithing and giving money. You know, God doesn't need any of your money, and he doesn't need any of your tithe. He's got all the cattle on the thousand hills. He's got all the silver and gold, all his. He doesn't need you to do the things that you think you need to do. He wants you to do the things he set aside for us to do. That's why we're here. So we've got the two scriptures here. Uh, diametrically opposed to one another. Well done and good faithful servant. And I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So, Father, as we get into this teaching and this preaching. I ask, Lord, that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit, that the things I'm about to say not only would bring conviction, because there isn't a good word spoken, that doesn't bring conviction to Jesus Christ 
there's, I might just as well talk to the wind. So I ask that your Holy Spirit would guide me, instruct me, allow to speak through me. And I thank you and give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Skip, could I have the next scripture, please? So the next scripture is really talking about what if. And this young man that we're going to be talking about, um, he thought he had it pretty well nailed down. After all, he did just about everything there was to do. He obeyed everything God said. And let's read it. It says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I have to fill you in here. He already thought he had eternal life, and he wanted, he wanted Jesus to agree with him, as you'll see as he gets into it. Well, Jesus responds to him, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony. Do not defraud, honor your father and mother. He's smiling to himself now. He's smiling because he's hearing exactly what he wanted to hear. Teacher, teacher, he declared, all these things I've kept since I was a boy. He's looking for the old pat on the back. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Now you can add other things to it. He had great wealth, bringing it up to par. He had great power. He had great notoriety. He had a great family. He had great this. He had great that. And what's the Lord saying? Give it up. It's interfering with the job I've got for you to do here. This man couldn't give it up. And he went away sad. You know, you never heard from this guy again. That was a parable that Jesus gave, and it was never mentioned again. And it doesn't have to be mentioned again. Because Jesus is throwing it out to us. Have you ever gone away sad? See, unfortunately, we can look at some of these third world countries, and they have so much more than we have. And we feel sorry for them. We feel sorry because they don't have the TVs and the washing machines and one or two or possibly three cars and on and on and on. We feel sorry for them. You know what they do have? I know some of our guys went to India talking to these pastors that went from far and wide to spend hours and hours. This is their vacation. They spent their vacation to hear the word of God traveling great distances. They didn't have cars. Some of them didn't even have bicycles. Some of them went by foot over all kinds of terrain and dangerous enough because it's not like America where you can walk down the street and say, I'm a Christian. You may get spit upon. You may get laughed upon, but you're not going to get killed like you might over there. And that they did that. And they were willing to do that. See, they knew they had a job to do. And they wanted to have someone to tell them, add on to it so I'll know a little bit more. I'll have more understanding of what God wants from me. But, of course, being in America, and, you know, God put us here, so I can't question the whys and the wherefores of why we're here. 
But I do question the whys and the wherefores of how we use God's gifts. Every one of us here has a gift. Now, there are all kinds of seminars and stuff to find out what your gifts are. That's a lot of baloney. That's all. It's easy to find out what your gift is. Just follow him, and he'll show you what your gift is. He'll put you face-to-face with your gift, and you may not like it. You know, following Jesus is not easy. We're coming up now into May. The soda surveys will be starting. The signs on the corners will be starting. And there will be many people coming out to do that. And I enjoy doing that. But I'll tell you, there's been some real hard words spoken to me. And from others, because we hold those signs up. Because we dared to speak on the corner of Delmar about Jesus just by holding the sign. How dare you? That's an, I've heard this is insulting me. This is an insult to me. You should be taken away. This is not the place for this. Well, that's not the place for it. Where is the place? But the whole thing of it is, God has assigned us to do these things. And they are not easy. I know I'll be walking out there probably the first Tuesday of May. And I'll be having my sign. And I'll be apprehensive with the sign. It takes me a little while to get my feet underneath and feel that to whatever comes, it comes. Come what may. But I can't tell you I'm not apprehensive when I start out. Same way in the soda surveys. Do you know how hard it is to witness to someone cold? Cold calling for a salesman has always been the hardest thing. Anyone that's been in sales, that's the last thing they want to do. Cold calling. It seems to get so little result. But every once in a while, you run into a a piece of gold. Someone connects to it. That's how it is with a soda survey. Now, when we're out there, probably, well, if I'm out there, probably 40, 50 people come through my sphere of influence. I'm trying to reflect back on all the ones. I can only think of a handful that truthfully accepted Jesus with excitement. Now, that's kind of a poor return on your money. That's what the world would say anyway. But, you know, for just one of those people, the angels in heaven danced and sang. Got so excited about that one person that all heaven got, all of a sudden there were celebrations going on. That's incredible. That's what our job is. But, unfortunately... We do do things, just like this guy. Well, I've, I've done all, you know, this guy is really good. Uh, on the soda survey, we have these 17 lists of things, how would I get to heaven? And, of course, the one that most people gravitate to is, I'm a good person. Bingo, here's a good person. If ever you saw a good person, and all he's looking for is, attaboy, attaboy. Jesus looking for Jesus to say, attaboy, you did it all. You got it. You know exactly what I want. But Jesus put all those other things aside. Listen to what he did. He didn't murder anyone. He didn't commit adultery. He didn't steal. He did not give false testimony. He didn't defraud. Honored his mother and father. And if Jesus probably would have said anything else, he would have answered, I've done all these things since I've been a boy. a boy, a boy. Slap, slap, pat, pat on the back. Until he finally came to the bottom line when Jesus saw his true heart. 
The one thing he loved the most, he didn't do. The one thing he loved the most, he couldn't give up. And that was his wealth. But that's his problem. What's our problem? Is it power? Is it possessions? What is it that God is asking you to give up? When Marsha and I were first saved, we were into a small prayer group that, well, quite honestly, we were willing to do anything and everything. It's funny how in those early days in the excitement, Lord, forgive me for failing and getting kind of blasé about many things. But at that day, there was a couple and a family that was in desperate need. We had a big house in Slingerlands. We were all set to sell the house, take the money and give it to them. The only thing that stopped us from doing that was that whatever happened came through and the person didn't need it. We were set to do that. Would I do that today? Hmm. Good question. Would I do it so willingly as I would in that day? Would you do that today? What does your house mean to you? What do your possessions mean to you? If Jesus says, sell them all. I got some poor people over here that desperately could use that money if you would sell this. Sell them all. Go ahead, sell them. I dare you to do it. Now, in my case, God didn't demand it. The same way when he talked to Abraham to bring his son, Isaac, his only son that he loved, and sacrifice him. Did God really want him to sacrifice Isaac? No. See, he wants the same thing from you that he wants from us. He wants you to know that you can do it. And then from there on in, it doesn't matter whether you do it or not. You know in your heart that God comes first. And not your possessions, not your family, not your power, not your great wealth, whatever it might be. That doesn't come first. So you know the story of Abraham and Isaac. Brought him right up to the point of going to take the boy's life. And the angel held back his hand. And in place of that, there was a sacrifice over in the brushes, a lamb, that was sacrificed instead. All God wants us to know. See, Abraham's no different than us. 3,500 years ago, and there's nothing new under the sun. It's the same old things, except they're wrapped in maybe a different package. But he wants to know about you. Are you willing to bring that to the altar today? What if someone was so desperate that they said, Tom, I am so desperate. I need $15,000 and I need it before tomorrow. My life, everything I have depends on it. Can you help me out? How do you answer someone like that? You mean give up my house, sell my house, mortgage my house, sell all my possessions? I don't know if I can get that done. Now, here's what starts happening. Now we start getting our mind. Well, that's an impossible. I can't do that by tomorrow. I can't do this, that. This will take too much time. And by that time, the whole thing will blow over. And all of a sudden, we've got in our mind how not to do it. And Satan is perfectly willing to bring that to our forefront. There's an old saying about giving. The collection pot's going around, and you have a $10 bill in your pocket and a $20 bill. Uh, 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 Which one are you going to give? Well, I'm going to tell you how that goes. Satan wants you to give the 10. God wants you to give the 20. So it's up to you where you're going to go with it. God always wants you to go a step further. 
a step so you can get out of yourself. He's doing that for our sake. Again, he doesn't need anything from us other than our obedience and our love. And then he can use that. Well, at any rate, this poor guy went away sad because he had great riches. And the same thing applies to us. We have great whatever the thing may be. Would you go away sad? Question. You've got to question yourself. It talks about when we have communion to examine yourself. To allow the Holy Spirit to examine yourself. Just don't listen to me as another uh, guy standing up here and giving a Sunday sermon. What a waste of time this would be. This is time of self-meditation. Looking into what we would do. Would I do what Abraham did? Would I walk away sad like he did? What would I do? Well, the next thing we're going to be dealing with... If you're unsure about your salvation, what can I do to know this? Skip, would you put up the next scripture in Luke chapter 9? Get a little drink here before I get into that. These are Jesus' words. Jesus said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. Isn't that what we're talking about? And take up his cross daily and follow me. I never did understand what the cross meant for almost, well, I'm going to say for 43 years, and I have to say for 30 of them, I always thought that cross was something I bared, something that was in my life, and I had to uh, take this cross up. I had to bear with it. It was nothing about me at all. It says, whoever would deny himself to take up the cross daily and follow me. You know where that cross is going? It's going to Calvary. He's asking us to lay down our life and go to Calvary with him. He continues on. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man? To gain the whole world. And you lose or forfeit his very self. That's what he's talking about. Are you sure you're saved? Are you willing to do this? Are you willing to go to Jesus? Right to the gates of hell with a sword in hand? Are you willing to do that? Anything else in your life that will stop you from doing that? Even today. What if you're sitting there and the Lord is talking to your heart and saying, you know, We've been talking, and I've been talking to you about doing this one thing. You haven't been doing it. You're too afraid, and you've been making excuses one after the other why you can't do it. See, the excuses always come from thinking excuses. Have you ever seen Jesus use an excuse, by the way? It's time we looked at what Jesus would do and what we do. Jesus never used an excuse. Jesus is probably the most forthright uh, upstanding, direct, right to the point of everything he said. Simple. Jesus also is probably the simplest man you're ever going to run into. The unfortunate part of that simplicity is profound. It goes right to the heart of the believer when he's talking. And he says, would you do this? Would you deny yourself daily? Remember now, we're talking about on a daily basis. 
Well, take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Just like that rich young ruler. He had the world by the string. With money, you can buy a lot of things, can't you? You can't buy happiness, but sometimes you can even do that. What you can't buy is joy. See, they make a big distinction between the happiness and joy. Money can buy a lot of things. Even temporarily, it can supply happiness. If I said to each of you, you're walking through the gate of this church today, and uh, Jeff will be standing out there to give you a $50,000 check for each one of you. Boy, that would bring me a lot of happiness. That certainly would bring me happiness. But in a short space of time, that fifty grand would be gone, and I'd be right back to where I was. Same way with a new car gets old in the junkyard. Same thing with anything we have. It makes us happy for a time. But it doesn't bring joy. These things bring joy. When I have Jesus in my heart, we think of some of these old saints like Mother Teresa, uh, some of the uh, Wycliffe, some of them are burned at the stake for their beliefs, for the things that they did. Go back further, the time of Rome, when they were sending wild animals to rip and tear Christians apart. How were they able to do that? I, I used to do Bible studies when my kids were small, two of my younger kids anyway. And we get into Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. And how could they do that? How could they do that? Because they knew the truth. And they were set free from whatever might happen to them. And I used to say, I don't know if I could do that. And you know what? Those people during the time of Rome, they couldn't do that either. You know how they did it? At the moment they needed, the Holy Spirit filled them. And they were able to deal with whatever it was. Because their conviction was so sure that whatever God asked, they were capable and ready and willing to do it. Well, the same questions are asked for us today. See, all these, all these uh, scriptures from ancient times, 3,500 years ago, 3,000 years ago, nothing's changed. Different names, different places, same result. Same result. Are you sitting here that you made a commitment to God and say, uh, yes, Lord, come into my heart, and you never did another thing about it? You haven't worked out your salvation? We'll get into that pretty soon. So we find out they must deny himself. Well, I'm going to make a brief today. I'm going to get to the conclusion because the conclusion is the best part. So Skip, can you put up that last scripture? It's in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have already obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I, for years, didn't understand what that meant. Fear and trembling. That sounds like a scary thing. Well, let me clarify fear and trembling to you. First of all, he's talking about they're obedient. They're obedient, especially since they had Paul there. They love Paul with all their heart. He says, but not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. You know, you're not going to be here every Sunday to hear a good message or a poor message, whatever you think of the message, but it's always a true message. 
You're not going to be here every Sunday. What do you do on the rest of the days? See, Satan is perfectly willing to let you come here on Sunday. Did you know that? In fact, he uh, kind of promotes it. Get there for an hour and a half on Sunday. You'll do well. Because when the, when the king asks you, did you go to church on Sunday? You can stand right there with your chest out and say, I did every Sunday. I didn't miss one. He said, well, that's really well. But you know the thing about you, Tom, is you've got this thing you're holding on to. I want you to let go of that and give it up and give it over. Can you do that, Tom? And the question is, would Tom go away sad? So we come here, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why should you have to work it out with fear and trembling? You're asking the question, and here's the answer. There are three tremendous forces that are working against you even now. Number one, the world. The world hates what you're doing. Number two, your flesh. Number three, Satan himself. All of them working against you. There's a story in 1 Kings, chapter 18, I got it down here, 21. I'm sure you've all heard of Elijah. Well, Elijah is at a time when Jezebel and Ahab, the king and queen of wherever they are. Uh, Jezebel, by the way, was probably the most vicious, sinful woman at that time that walked on the face of the earth. But you know, by today's standards, she probably will be named Woman of the Year. It's incredible how things have changed. But at any rate, Jezebel wants to kill Elijah. So she sets up her forces, and she calls her prophets. Now, her prophets, of course, there were 450 prophets telling her what she wanted to hear. Does anyone relate to this today? Can you turn on your TV and hear what you want to hear? I know a guy down uh, west that's got a church of 15,000. He tickles their ears every week, telling them the things they want to hear. And they go about feeling, probably just like that rich young ruler, feeling pretty darn good about themselves. And they go out of there, and they come back the next week, and he gives them another story. Because as we've talked about it before, and it's not new here, it was in my old church and churches before that, whatever you catch them on is what you have to keep them on. So he's going to come up with these uh, ideas of how great you are, and how really little you need God. You can have him intervene in your life once in a while, but hey, you're really a good person. Uh, Scripture, by the way, speaks contrary to that. In Jeremiah chapter 17, I think it's in verse 9, it says, the heart is deceptive of wicked above all things who can know it. So man is not good. If that's the case, then what does man need? He needs a change of heart. Well, at any rate, back to the story with Elijah and the prophets. He, right now, is 450 to 1. The 450 to 1 are the ones that are speaking of the world, the ones that are speaking of the flesh, and the ones that are speaking for Satan. 450, and you're the one standing against them. That's tremendous odds. Quite honestly, the odds are even worse, but these are the numbers I picked out of Scripture. 450 to 1. How can I withstand? 
And you know what? You can't. You can't stand. You can only do it in Jesus Christ. You have no power in yourself. You have no ability in yourself. You don't have any strength in yourself. Whatever else you don't have, you don't have. But you do have it through the Holy Spirit. You have the power to defeat 450. And did he? He did. He defeated those 450. The one man that stood up for God was able to come against a whole nation, a king, a queen, and 450. And I'm supposing these prophets were very respected in their country. Not only to defeat them, he killed them. But you can read that. It'd be an interesting read. Kings, first chapter, first uh, uh, Kings, chapter 18. Read it for yourself and see what goes on there. Well, closing up. I have to ask you the final questions here. Do you lie? Do you tell the truth? Are you deceitful? Deceitful. I'll bet your answer would be, I'm none of those things. Shakespeare, the famous prophet, said one little quip that's probably repeated over and over again. To thine own self, what? Be true. Do you lie to yourself? Do you think it's all right? It's all well with my soul? Do you deceive yourself thinking that the things that you're not doing are perfectly okay with God? Because, by the way, tomorrow I can catch on to the train. Tomorrow is a good enough day. When he's talking about these things, he's asking each of us, do you know that you have a job to do for Christ and that everything else is unimportant? How do I know if I'm saved? Am I working for Christ? What if I think I am? Well, here we're talking about how you can find that out. How to find out. See, anyone ever see the old movie Pinocchio? Great favorite with kids. Walt Disney, what a great movie. Well, there's a little guy in there called Jiminy Cricket. And Jiminy Cricket was... Pinocchio's conscience, yes. Yes, some of you have seen that. And Jiminy Cricket had a little song. Always let your conscience be your guide. You know what a conscience is without Christ? An absolute train wreck. Your conscience only gets you to the point of Nazi Germany during the 30s and 40s and the things that they did. Do you think someone with good conscience can kill 15 million people? Their conscience was their guide. Your conscience is a train wreck without Jesus Christ, without the Holy Spirit directing it. So I leave you with these words. That are you unsure of your salvation? You better check in today. You might not have tomorrow. This is what the Lord is speaking about. So... With that, oh, by the way, I had to do that myself. I don't say these things lightly because I have to go through it. Now, here's the danger. 
If you can't answer the truth to these questions, you're going to hell. Not beating around the bush anymore. Going to hell. There is no way of salvation except through Jesus Christ. And there's no way to have salvation unless you're working at it with fear and trembling. Every day, daring to do something for Jesus when he asks. Never run ahead of God. He's got you in his perfect timing. But when he asks you to do something for him, everything else has to be put aside. I'm willing to do that. Are you willing to take your only son and lay him on the altar to be sacrificed? Are you willing to lay all of your wealth before the Lord and say, it's uh, nothing but chafe. Take it. It's yours. He's what the Lord is looking for. He's looking for a heart that can answer these questions truthfully. And I asked you the question before. Are you truthful? Have you deceived yourself? Have you put yourself in a position where you're lying to yourself? To thine own self be true. Amen. Can I have the music minute? Yep. Yeah.